From joining when there were 7,000 employees to, in just four years, scaling the IT behind Uber's current 43,000 employees, Shubna Awalia, the head of IT at Uber, was faced with the ultimate challenge. Some IT leaders dream of helping to scale their company's IT at the rate that Uber did. Others may fear that challenge. Shubna confronted this challenge head-on and now is responsible for Uber's IT across 650 offices in 70 different countries around the globe. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Shubna shares her insights on scaling IT at Uber, the journey automation optimization has taken over the past decade, and how leaders should think about failure. Enjoy this episode. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee, and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org. And we have in studio, Shobes, what's going on? Hey, how are you? I'm just doing great. It's a great day, and I'm so excited to talk about your career, and what IT looks like at Uber. But before we get into that, how did you get into technology in the first place? I grew up in India and I had two choices while growing up. I could be a doctor or I could be an engineer. My dad had pretty much decided (laughs) that I was going to be one of the two. And uh, I refused to dissect a frog. That's how I got into technology. I know it's not a very sexy story, but in India, a lot of these things, uh, especially in my generation, because I'm a fair bit older than you guys, that's how it used to be. I almost passed out during bio in uh, in college, so I would have been a horrible biologist <laughs> or or doctor as well. What was uh, what was exciting about technology to you? Growing up. Things fit in my mind in like kind of a jigsaw puzzle. So technology is very logical once you get, once you understand it, once you understand the basics. So I loved figuring things out. I loved algorithms. I would speak algorithmatically sometimes in school, which was interesting. If you do that, then else, RF. Yeah. So um, I liked that part a lot. Um and the physical engineering part of things, I wasn't that great, but the logical and the computer science uh, analogies there were easier for me. And I understood that a lot better and just fit well in my head, I think. So flash forward to now, head of IT at Uber, what does information technology look like at, at Uber? So at Uber, we, we've grown very fast in the past few years. There is, uh, our, our mission is to serve our cities and provide uh, different services like transportation, food, uh, even move uh, trucks and things like that. IT at Uber is, uh, is one of the most interesting challenges I have, uh, I have been through. We have about 650 plus offices around the world. We have Uber services in 70 plus countries. So it's a very geographically spread out uh, responsibility. IT at Uber is responsible for all technology uh, practices and services inside the walls of the company. Yeah. So when you're talking like the employee experience side of things, you're talking about, you know, making everybody's technology happy at a 20,000 person company. We are about 43,000 employees. 43,000? Contingents, yes. Wow. 
So it's a little bit bigger than that. Uh, but yes, the vision we have is to provide magical work experiences to all our workers all over the world every day. I love that. So what is, what's a magical work experience? Magical work experience is when we remove all friction in your work life. So when you show up to work, everything else works amazingly. So you can just focus on what you want to produce. You know, your computer's great, your experience, connectivity is awesome. You have all the information that you require at your fingertips. Uh, the programs you want are working and working well. You can have amazing video conferencing going on and things like that. So basically remove everything external so your heart, your mind can progress without any issues and you can deliver what you want to deliver for Uber and in the service of the cities. I love that you said magical. <laughs> That's so great because, uh, you know, technology is magic, right? Like it, it is this thing that uh, I think sometimes we take for granted. And I'm curious at Uber, like what are the types of things that, you know, infrastructure wise you all work with? Are you hybrid cloud? What's the tech stack look like and all that? So we have a varied tech stack at Uber. We are hypercloud. We are in the cloud. We have our own data centers. So when you look at the footprint we have and how we grew, we had to take advantage of everything that existed and also create our, our own technologies. So uh, our product is all out of our data centers. We are very cloud friendly. Actually, a lot of our applications are all SaaS-based, which is in a cloud somewhere. Even some of uh, the things that we develop ourselves as our own various clouds, and uh, we try to be tech agnostic in that case so that our services and our applications can work on various platforms. So you were, you were early in ERP. So kind of at the time when automation, optimization were becoming more prevalent in the enterprise. Like, what's the difference then to now? Like, what's the, what have you seen, you know, IT change from then to now? A ton of changes have happened in the IT world in the last couple of decades. When we started the ERP automation, and uh, rather I should say, when it became more popular around late, mid, mid 90s or so, there was a certain amount of information that was available to us, and that is what we could automate. We were looking at process optimizations, but when you look at other uh, sensors coming in, we didn't have that many of those. Fast forward 20 plus years, the amount of data, the amount of information we can get is amazing. So not only have we started looking to automate all of those things, uh, we've also started to understand how could we use these new information sources that we have to predict future needs of people. How can we be more predictive? And as a small thing, is is your computer going to break down anytime soon? How can I really know that? And before it happens, I can get you a new one. Or when you go all the way to the other side and you look at uh, AI and ML, how can I predict what is it that might happen based on all of the information I have, but also how the current and real-time sensors that can give me current information. So I would say that technology field itself, especially information technology, has changed so much. It's dramatically different. The playing field has changed completely. And the reason why you know I, I bring that up is talking about employee experience, where you're you see this fundamental shift in how employees behave today. How you know we talk about like the kind of the end of like the ticket taking culture and moving on to like innovation. Um, 
How do you partner with the engineering team? How do you partner with security? How do you how do you leverage um, you know those other types of assets within the company to make the employees you know work more more proficiently? So the ideal case scenario for any company is if all of our different pillars work together seamlessly. Security is not an afterthought. Security should be woven in into all the things we do. That's the ideal state. I am not saying we're yeah, ideal, yeah. but that's yeah. what we want to get to. Uh, one of the interesting things my CISO usually says is that we try to go to the yes answer. Security these days is not, it's not one of those organizations anymore that you go to them and everything is a no, no, no. The more forward-looking companies are figuring out how to be smart about which risks to take, really understand that, and then go ahead and take those risks. You asked about employee experience or magical employee experience with all of these things together. I would say we try and start even before that, or at least that's one of our goals. How do you get the right employees in, in the company? What is a right employee? Because you might be a great employee, you might not be the right fit at Uber, but you might be an amazing fit somewhere else. So we try to figure out what are the best candidates we can bring in. We have some technology POCs going on and how we can figure out how can we reduce the timing uh, of bringing in those candidates. As you can imagine, interviewing can be difficult or it can be a stressful time for certain people. How do we reduce that stress? How do we figure out the best fit and bring them in ASAP? After that, when we have employees in the company, our, uh, we have certain standards, of course, like when you're managing a geographically spread company or you're managing a company with that many employees, you have to have certain standards. So our employees get choices on what they want, but that's a certain amount of choices. And that would include what kind of um, assets, laptops, phones, things like that. And they can choose all of that. We do have training set up. So when we join, there are a couple of trainings that employees go through. There is uh, Uberversity, which uh, a way to think about Uberversity is it it introduces you to the Uber and Uber culture. Mm -hmm. What is it that we do? What are our big pillars? What are we excited about at a big picture level and things like that? You get to hear from our uh, ELT leaders, who is, uh, you know, Dara and his directs, which can be very inspiring when you come in as a new employee. At the same time, it gives you a little bit of the lay of the land. For engineering, we also have another uh, educational session called Education, where we just familiarize them with uh, the tools we would use um, and and other things. Is it kind of funny that, you know, here you are as the head of IT talking about all of these sort of things, right? Like, did, like, could you have imagined that, you know, 10 years ago that you'd be sitting there talking about, you know, the the onboarding process for employees in such like a, a different way. Like it doesn't sound like you're talking about technology and yet technology is at the undercurrent of all of that, you know, of bringing someone on into the company, especially when you're in, would you say 70 countries? Yes. Yeah, yes. I mean, it's unbelievable. So my belief is technology is best used when it is in the service of a bigger goal. Technology by itself can be fun and sexy. And that, you know, we have to do that because that's what keeps us going as technologists. But in a corporate setting, it's always important to think about technology as a service to a bigger goal and not just for the sake of technology. And you're absolutely right. Like 10 years ago, I was probably not thinking about it in this way. I was hopefully learning about it. um, And things have changed a lot. I'm curious. 
you know, from when you, when, how many employees were there when you joined? We had about, uh, I would want to say maybe around 7,000 employees and contingents when okay. I joined. So we're talking about, you know, from 7,000 to 40,000 um, is obviously an extremely huge uh, amount of growth. For the CIOs and IT leaders that are listening, you know, I'm sure that to wrap your head around that type of growth is 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 pretty crazy. I'm sure you had to think scale with everything that you were doing, which is probably, a, you know, tripling your workforce, quadrupling your workforce is something that not a lot of CIOs might deal with. But because of that, you kind of might be thinking incrementally rather than, you know, like exponentially. I'm curious, like how was, what was your thought process going into the role and looking at, like knowing that that massive scale is, is afoot? So starting this job at Uber, uh, was interesting for me. Uh, Uber was a smaller footprint at that point, but it was a very high-flying brand. And going in, we did understand that the scale's going to be huge. To be honest, I did not know how huge. So predicting it at that point was a little bit hard. In hindsight, 2020, it's like, great, of course, why not? We should have grown that much. We have a great product. Yeah, It was a great time to grow for us. Um, I will say that sometimes we get caught up on how the scale or how much the scale will be. We made decisions at that point and brought in tools and systems which we thought would scale. And in some cases we failed. Yeah. But as Jeff Bezos says, you can always go back. You know, these decisions are not uh, life binding for us. Yeah. The big issue is if you just paralyze yourself. If you do not make forward progress because you think that you don't know all the answers, I don't know what the scale is going to be. And if I don't do anything, I think that's the biggest problem I can create. Yeah. So we we went and we made some great calls about our technology, about our infrastructure. We actually, as Uber, we decided we we're going to stay in our data centers rather than going to a cloud pro- a provider for our product side. Mm-hmm. On the corporate IT side, we embraced clouds completely. So we made great decisions on the tech infrastructure level. Uh, for certain applications, we went in with what seemed right at that point. And after we scaled so much, we had to switch out a few and that yeah. was fine. Yeah, A lot of our decisions was good. Some weren't great at that point and we changed them. So to me, it's about making the best decision you can with the amount of information you have and understanding that those decisions are changeable in future. It's one of the things we've talked about on on some of the CIO roundtables because the the tenure of a CIO is is <laughs> short that making a decision on a technology and then having to sunset that while you're still CIO <laughs> is is a pretty brutal thing. It's like kind of admitting defeat. So, you know, you get a little paralysis by analysis. I'm curious, how do you find technologies? Are you how are you looking for new things? What's what's innovative and 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 hot so to speak? There are several ways us CIOs look at that. So, actually, one of the really important avenues I look at for innovation and what's uh, what's hot is sometimes we are talking with our other CIOs. Mm-hmm. So with that, you can definitely understand what's hot, what's working. Um, and referrals are very important to us. We're a pretty tight-knit group here. For what's innovative, we generally work with uh, VCs. We are a group, we are partnering with several VCs around in the Valley. And it is important to see what things are trending, Yeah, what's coming across the horizon. Third avenue is sometimes a solution is not out there in the industry 
it depends on which uh, industry you are, which company you are, what are you really trying to solve? And sometimes the industry does not have that solution. And then the solution comes from within. So it's important to understand what the problem is. What is it that we're trying to solve? Has the industry solved it before? If not, can we work with VC community and find somebody who wants to solve it? And if not, let's just solve it ourselves and see if that can be spun out outside to help other companies. I mean, as an example, I'll say when I when I joined Uber in the first few months even, we were growing so rapidly that we were lighting up an office a day. So if a month had about 22 working days, we were probably lighting up 24 offices around the world. Just in comparison, a normal company lights up maybe four offices a year. That's unbelievable. So we had like, we had no run book to do this so fast, so quickly. And we had to develop certain things. We developed relationships with vendors. We figured out how to light up an office really quickly. How can you burn your equipment? How do you have depots around the world? And in parts, all of these things have been done, but just bringing it together so we could do it consistently, repeatably over six different continents around the world. That's where I thought we could we could bring in some magic and we did. It's so remarkable to think about that type of of scale and growth. And I think a lot of times, you know, people look at the scale of Uber. I mean, truly a, a company that's synonymous with disruption at this point, like, you know, the Uber of blank. But it's interesting to think about the idea of, of what needs to happen internally to allow those things to happen. Like scaling to millions of users is one thing, but scaling an internal culture to support those products is entirely another thing. I'm curious, like, how do you drive innovation, like, internally um, with such an innovative and, like, you know, quote unquote, disruptive culture? Are you doing things like hackathons or are you doing things to drive, um, you know, innovation? Innovation is key for not just companies like us, I think for the entire industry at this point. Yeah. We are coming across new problems. There is no good solution, which has been decided upon for that. Yeah. So we're trying to find new ways of doing things, faster, cheaper, better, all of the above. I am actually thankful we're in the Silicon Valley because it's such a great culture. You get so much energy from around us. But even our offices outside this place have been great hubs for innovation for us. We do a lot of things. Hackathons are an amazing way to create energy and to at least create a small V1 of a problem that you're trying to solve. Outside of that, it's more the culture of forgiveness when you're trying to do something big. In other words, failure is not something to be lamented about when it is done in the pursuit of something big. Yeah. You know, that failure should be celebrated a little bit. Um, that failure should be studied to understand what is it that we did wrong and how can we be better. We have this whole uh, blameless post-mortem process. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So anything, if we break, like I remember I... There was an engineer who changed a setting that brought our uh, Uber platform down for about 18 minutes. This was about four years ago. We were much smaller then. Uh, we didn't fire the engineer. What we did is went back and saw what happened. What did it change? What did he or she change? What can we change in the process so that we have better validations, but at the same time, we can be faster? So root cause analysis is a very prevalent thing in most of our engineers. You will hear them talk about blameless postmortems, RCAs, follow up on the RCAs, um, and things like that. In my own organization, I also have a small innovation group. So this is a little bit different. Like I do think innovation is everybody's job responsibility. Everybody should do that. But we also carved out a very small group 
and their job was to find solutions for uh, problems in a very tech-centric way. If the operations process is not automated, but it's, and it's not very easy to do that, what can my group do to help with that? One of the recent things my organization has done in that respect is we came out with kiosks, which are being put in airports all over. Now, kiosks is not a new technology. We've done it. Yeah. But bringing together kiosks in different countries and putting our app on top of it, plus marketing, uh, plus creating a hardware and software that worked really well together is something fun. We have put a kiosk. Everybody loves a kiosk. Everybody does. I know. It's like, you know, it's just sitting there and you can go and you can touch it and whatever. Like, it's great. Yeah, it can talk to you and other things. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. So imagine if when you go, when you're flying and you go to a country where you do not have reception on your phone, or there are certain countries where um, smartphones are not that popular. Yeah. And you land there, you're walking out of the airport and you really want to get uh, your ride. In those cases, people go to kiosks and it's been very helpful for them. I also think that there are certain brackets of our consumers that are more... Um, comfortable with the kiosk kind of technology where they can go and they can pick up a phone, they can call someone and they can have their rides booked. Or they can go and they can like punch in their information in a kiosk and they can have their rides booked rather than yeah. uh, having a phone. So that category of our users are comfortable with this technology and it's been very helpful for them. I love that. I didn't know you were doing that. That's really interesting. We've just put out our first kiosk, uh, I want to say maybe a couple of weeks ago, and we started with one airport. And of course, we have like a game plan to test it in a few different places. Well, it's also just such a familiar experience because like that's how ticketing is done. Like, yeah, you could use your Southwest. Uh, you can use the app now and just walk right on. But, yeah. but you know, so many people are familiar with, with the kiosk. What a world. Gosh, Uber going from app back to kiosk. Is, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that that was internally was an interesting conversation. What I think is so interesting is, I mean, Uber is one of the first apps that like cut through the idea that like your geographical location is critical to where you are and that everything was mobile first. Everything was um, about a seamless digital experience. So I'm curious, like what was it like kind of perfecting that? And then how do you think of like the mobile first employee experience? Because that's the thing that we're sort of-ish kind of getting there. I always say that like executives always talk about the mobile experience uh, because executives don't really need to ever be on anything with their phone, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, of course you think it's great. It's like you can run the business from your phone because you don't sit there and jam away on spreadsheets anymore. Um, but for a lot of other people, that's not the case. So um, anyways, two-part question, but I'm curious, like what is what is it like seeing that, you know, incredible mobile experience and how do you take best practices from that? Our, our business definitely is mobile first, so, and, and it makes a lot of sense. People didn't have to be tethered to their phones or to their desks to be able to use our uh, product. And that's the mindset we have for products. For our employees, as you said, it's a little bit more difficult for employees to have everything mobile first. Some things do make sense, right? Your approvals, even emails and all employees do use their phones a lot. But when you talk about jamming, when you talk about design documents, when we talk about creating process life cycles, you really want to make sure you have it in a form factor that you can see and use more easily. And a phone is not really that. I would say that in this particular context, most companies are not mobile first. Most companies are very 
supportive of employees being report uh, remote, but not necessarily mobile first, just because of all of the reasons you mentioned. Yeah. One of the interesting trends in employees that I see is just there is no longer the concept of everybody needs to come to work and sit together and all of that. So I think more important is making sure that we have collaboration tools yeah. that can be very effective, completely frictionless. You can work from a Starbucks, you can work from your home, you can work from the office, you can work from one of the 600 different offices we have, but how do you still be effective and collaborative? And that's a problem that we are trying to solve really well along with the with other vendors in the quadrant. Well, and I think that also you're talking about the this rise of like the app culture. Um, it's absolutely necessary. But the rise of app culture, I think, is something that we're so familiar with. You know, we see it with obviously our, our amazing sponsor, Salesforce platform, and like people creating apps on that and like employees creating apps that affect their daily life. Um, but people are just comfortable with it now. People are comfortable with apps. They they fundamentally, it's an easier user experience. I think it's like compartmentalized in our brains that we can go to an app and an app solves a problem, right? There's something about that. I'm curious, like, how do you look at app creation and development internally? So internally, we look at uh, app creation to solve a problem. Yeah. And you're absolutely right that this generation, people today are so comfortable with apps. Like my, if I look at the apps on my phone right now, yeah. I've probably got, I've got a banking app. I've got apps to book my restaurants, uh, book travel, all kinds of things. It's really easy and it's really handy to have it on a phone. So internally we do have processes and we have the culture of it's solvable and you can do it on an app. Let's do it. It makes sense. But again, I think the bigger issue for us is Let's figure out what are we solving. Let's keep in mind what the problem is and then use technology to solve that. Yeah, it's so empowering. We talk about it a lot on the show, but it's so empowering the idea that, you know, any employee at the company could create something that that makes a difference. And I just feel like that's one of those like, you know, younger generations being comfortable building something, getting it to launch you know, getting it to, to V1 to, you know, 1.01, I think is is just really cool and empowering for employees to know that they can have that sort of, uh, make that sort of difference. Yeah, because that's the way I feel that the workforce of today works. Yeah. They have to be excited, you know, and why they, I have to be excited. I have to be interested. Like all of us want to really see what we can impact and see the end product quickly. And it's so different than, a couple of decades ago. Yeah. I mean, I remember those ERP projects. Those were like, you would project 18 months to two years out. And as what you said earlier, it's very difficult for a CIO to ever go back and redo that decision because God knows you cannot get two years back <laughs> and the amount of money that's spent. Today, it's a whole different game, uh, ball game. My project plans are months long, if if that. Yeah. Uh, it's the agile work culture. We're always doing sprints and we're figuring out what can we do and deliver in two weeks and then what can we deliver in two weeks later. And after that, it's a little bit of a blur because who knows what happens after four weeks. Um, I'm just getting there. But that's <laughs> really just the way we work. It's in short, it's in small bites. And we really want to see the end product sooner because we want to feel it. We want to understand how it fits in our problem solving sphere. And if not, then how can we change it quickly? We don't want to live with things that don't work for us. We want to change it quickly. And patience is not really a virtue anywhere anymore. Yeah, no kidding. Um, I wanted to to talk about 
culture and building things for people that are in 170 countries. We were talking before this, uh, before we got on air about a really cool event that you did in, with a few different employee resource groups internally. Um, I'm curious, like, how do you make an experience similar but different across different nationalities and languages and, and all of that stuff? Yeah, that's a really good question. We are fundamentally different because of our background, but we are also fundamentally similar because we are all humans and sometimes we are all working with the same issues. Yeah. The event you're talking about was the She++ event, which uh, two different employee resource groups at Uber put together. It was the Asian ERG and the Women ERG. And I thought they put together an amazing fun event where they had a few panelists come in and we were all women in tech or women in leadership rather. And Mm -hmm. we talked about different experiences. But to me, what was so great about that event was the people out there. The energy in the room was amazing. And irrespective of their background, they had such interesting questions because it didn't matter if you were an, um, you came from Asia or you came from um, Africa or you came from Europe. There were people working in the tech industry or the leadership uh, industry here in in the Silicon Valley, and they were seeing certain trends that transcended the background. And to be able to jam on that and talk about it and say, hey, this is what we see is different uh, versus this is what I have done to negotiate this kind of an environment. It was just a very honest conversation. So I would say first thing you bring into that kind of a conversation is honesty. Say, this is what my personal experiences is, or I don't know about it, but really work to connect with the audience and understand what they want out of that. Let's get into the lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like the lightning platform from Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash employee experience to learn more about employee experience on the world's number one CRM. That is Salesforce. We love them. You will too. Check them out. Lightning round questions. Shabs, are you ready? All right. Number one, what app are you using on your phone that's the most fun? I love Vivino. It's an app that uh, uh, it tells you about your wines uh, and helps me choose some good wines and also tells me what, what I have, uh, what I might be missing. So. Anything good these days? What, what are you liking? I have recently started uh, following a new winery, Hourglass, hmm. and they are doing some really, really good wines. It's probably so, yes. timeless. <laughs> it probably is. Favorite vacation spot? I loved Spain. I went there about a couple of years ago. I loved the energy. I loved that you could go in the middle of the day and have a siesta and nobody judged you. <laughs> I figured, I was trying to imagine how it would be working there. Like, all right, I'm here for a meeting now. I'll be back after three hours. It's my siesta time. <laughs> um, and everybody drinks sangria there. So, yeah. you know, again, I think back to the wine thing. <laughs> Uh, favorite book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently? Recently read The Juggling Act uh, by Pat Jelsinger, who is the CEO of uh, VMware. Oh, cool. It's actually a really interesting book. I think in these days, we are always figuring out how to fit our life and work and uh, other uh, family in, in, in our 24-hour schedule. And that's a really interesting uh, book on a framework to be able to do that. What do you do for fun? I think we covered the wine part, so I should give you (laughs) something else. Um, I enjoy traveling. I like hiking. 
I used to love reading a lot, but I haven't had that much time for it, but I'm trying to get back into it. I like watching TV. So I don't know if anybody really Favorite admits show? to that. Um, I am probably one of the five people in the US who have not watched Game of Thrones. <laughs> and I finally broke down and I am now binge watching it. That's awesome. So that's good. I also watch a lot of Indian uh, movies. Oh, awesome. What is your best advice for a first-time head of IT? IT is one of those functions in a company that has the capability of changing the company's future. Focus on how can we really impact the top line? What can we do to bring in maybe e-commerce or uh, automating sales, doing things like that that can be really useful to the company? Focus on how can we make the experience for our employees amazing. They are the ones who make things happen. So all of that. Um, eventually, it's it's just a great function to be able to connect with all other functions of the company. So you can be an amazing enabler if we have the personal relationships and we really understand what we want to do or what the company wants to do or particular department wants to do. And let's be great partners with them. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? Why don't we have a four-day work week Why in the don't US? We? And how can we get it? How can we? I'm I'm here for it. <laughs> like all of us have to get together. We we need to form a movement on that. You can be so much more effective if we had the three-day weekend every week. I know. The only problem is we still need like all of the like supermarkets and doctors and dentists and all that stuff, but maybe just a four-day business week. I, we could work on this. We can work on this. You, you could be the chair. You'll, you're you you're the chair of the committee for sure. All right. Okay. We've got work to do after this podcast then. <laughs> Shobes, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. Any uh, final thoughts? Any things to plug? Thanks so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. It's been a great experience. Uber has been an amazing platform for me and a company for me. So I hope it's useful for all of you. And thank you. Yeah, we'll be following along and we got to have you back for a uh, for a round table. You're awesome. Thank you so much. IT Visionaries is created by the team at mission.org and brought to you by the Salesforce Customer 360 platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. Build connected experience, empower every employee and deliver continuous innovation with the customer at the center of everything you do. Learn more at salesforce.com slash platform. <laughs>